my name is Chris Bay and welcome to Saturday at 3. This is a breaking news pod as Giovanni Van Bronckhorst has been sacked by Rangers today. So we've got a kind of bumper episode in terms of um, guests. I think we're, we're just about all on tonight, um, apart from Scott. We've got Eddie. Eddie, how you doing, mate? I'm not bad, thanks. Uh, just kind of floating between emotions from Gio being sacked and being slightly pleased at the board actually taking some action to um, USA taking a lead against Wales there. The despair of that to the equaliser from Bale. Um, I'm just riding a train of emotions tonight. Some day and night for you, Eddie, you know. Um, also, we've got Dave. Dave making his first appearance on Saturday at 3. How are you doing, buddy? I am down like it. Well, we'll see what the future holds. Depends what the board got up to next, but I'm... Uh, well, certainly, really the is, uh, certainly the future is no longer orange. Um, don't know if I'll get away with that one. Producer Angel will be sitting there going, hmm, that's probably going to. But anyway, uh, Tom, how you doing, mate? I'm well, thank you. I think uh, relieved after yeah after the news today, which we'll discuss. But yeah, oh, overall, just relieved, relieved, England, we're always going to beat Iran. <laughs> and uh, finally, we've got Kenny. Kenny, how you doing, buddy? I'm not too bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm kind of a wee bit like Eddie, mixed emotions, uh, but certainly, obviously, I don't have a, a horse in the World Cup, so it's purely about Geo, kind of been reflecting upon it all day, so I suppose we'll go into it. Um, I suppose we'll also have some contrasting opinions now that Dave's on the pod, and we've also got, as I mentioned, uh, producer Andrew, he's in the background refreshing the odds, because they're changing every single minute, because people are putting money on certain outsiders, which is ranking them right up there, so he'll keep us um, correct when we're, when we're discussing uh, potential contenders for the, the Rangers' job. We'll go through Gio's record at Rangers, uh, we'll go through it in numbers, break it down into league, um, cups, Europe, what he achieved, um, the constraints, if you will, that he had within the job, um, mainly recruitment, players that left, the injury problems, and as I mentioned, we will touch upon who we think should be or possibly will be the, the next Rangers manager. Rangers released a statement um, just around about 10, 11 o'clock this morning. I um, have to give credit to Stevie Clifford. He was literally the first one to break it before anyone. Um, don't know how he got older up, but he said there's been unconfirmed reports that Giovanni Van Bronckers has been sacked. And literally minutes later, Chris Jack actually confirmed it. And then literally minutes after that, the club confirmed it. And they said that Rangers Football Club confirms today it's party company with manager Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. The board would like to put on record sincere thanks to Gio for all his efforts since his appointment as manager. Arriving at the club just over a year ago, well, one day over a year, Gio led the club to a fifth European final and won the Scottish Cup last May. He also led the team to the club's first Champions League qualification in 12 years. Unfortunately, results and performances over recent months haven't met expectations and the decision was made today by the board to terminate the contract of the manager. The search for the new manager is now underway. Chairman Douglas Park commented, I want to thank Gio for the hard work he has put in over the last 12 months and especially the achievement of taking the club to Europa League final and winning the Scottish Cup last season. Unfortunately, recent results have not met neither our nor Gio's expectations and we have taken this difficult decision today. Everyone at Rangers wishes Gio every success in the future. So the first question um, I've kind of really got to say here, uh, really ask, um, get around the table, quick answers, no need to kind of dive deep into this. Was it the right decision and was the timing a bit 
Um, suspicious. Now, I'll, I'll ask, uh, sorry, I'll, I'll qualify that by saying AGM's around the corner one year, literally two or three days after the one year anniversary, so there might be less compensation to pay there. Was also, um, also was the decision made purely on football, football in terms, or was this an arse covering decision by the board, the pressure got too much. I think it's the latter, but I'd like to hear what you guys have got to say. I'll start with you, Tom. Yes, it was the right decision, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, if you listen to you know, previous pods, I was very pro, you know, give him a go, we've got injuries, we've got this and the other, but yeah, he had to go in the end. What about the timing for you? It's a bit suspect, you know. I've I've seen comments that maybe it was, you know, after a year the compensation dropped, as you've just mentioned. But it might have just been, you know, with the financial figures just coming out, it might just been something as simple as we had to raise the money to sack him. Yeah, yeah. and it's taken a two two weeks to get that together. And uh, Tom, the the decision we can all see was the right decision in the end. But do you think that the board arrived at that decision for the right reasons, purely footballing reasons? Or do you think that they were starting to take the blame and the flack and obviously the AGM being in the corner, they're doing it to try and save face a little? Or, or do you definitely have save the, face? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely save face slash, slash ask covering. Yeah, yeah. They, they, don't, they don't want the AGM, I think we all expect. And this was their attempt to sort of uh, divert that a little bit. Yeah. Um, Kenny, what do you say? Uh, hi, uh, definitely the right time to go. Um, I agree with you in terms of uh, the board, the timing of it. I think it's quite apparent that they've looked at it and thought, well, we don't want that AGM being the way it, it could be. Um the, I expect that we have a new manager in by then and actually completely take the flack off them, actually. Um, and in terms of the compensation, I think that's probably right. I, I actually think that there will be uh, some kind of clause in that contract that after a year, uh, or, uh, you know, that it would be less, or it could just be that Gio's actually said to them last week, look, fair enough, but give me time to get out of the country and all the rest of it. So I don't know uh, in that sense, but... It, Definitely, it's the board covering their own backsides, I think. Yeah. Eddie? Um, I think it was the right move. As far as timing goes, I'm just going to read a little paragraph from what I wrote the other day. The board need to act now and remove Geo before the season becomes even more toxic and damaged. The longer the status quo drags on, the less faith I have that they will act. The cynical side of me thinks they may be holding out until the World Cup starts in the hope that may bury the news a bit. One day after the World Cup starts, they fired him. Yeah. Um, and finally, Dave. For me, I've been vocal about this. It was long overdue. The underlying performances were so poor. He had to go. I, I, I think the, the timing, sneak it in at the World Cup. And then I, I don't think we'll end the end before the AGM. I think the AGM will be, the, the manager search will be a smokescreen for the AGM. So, yeah, we're looking really hard. We're interviewing candidates. Check us out. We're good guys. Uh, or, alternatively, as Ken Elliott said, we'll try and get a quote-unquote big name in and take the flack off them. But I've no attention turned to the board because I've no faith they'll do the right thing here or they'll be either belatedly done the right thing getting rid of them. Uh, you had another point there. What was your thought? You kind of said three things. The timing, the decision. The timing... Um... 
so the, the first one was it the right decision, the second one obviously the, the timing around it, and the third one was it done for the right reasons, football reasons, or do you think the board will try to save face? For me, they've arrived at the right decision in footballing matters, uh, without question. It was never, it wasn't working, it wasn't going to work, it's the right decision. However, they have arrived at that right decision. Yeah, no, that's fair, that's fair. For me, uh, just uh, before we get into kind of Gio's time at Rangers, uh, there's one other thing that's kind of been bothering me a little bit, um, and that is the the narrative that came out over the last couple of days, where Sky Sports News had an in-depth piece on Giovanni van Bronckhorst's year at Rangers. A Dutch journalist um, basically said that Gio isn't worried about his job; he's fully expecting to come back. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, he's come back after the break. For me, I have to basically say it as I see it, or, or, or maybe how um, how I perceive it um, is probably the better word. It's coming across a wee bit classless, because if we were always going to do what we've done today, regardless of how we arrived at that decision, um, it should have been done pretty much immediately after the game against St Mirren. The fact that we let that piece go out, the fact that that journalist um, obviously had I mean, he's a very reputable journalist. He's not just, you know, one of those kind of blue tickers on Twitter with 3,000 followers. This is a guy that's pretty well known within Dutch football. The fact that he came out with such a statement, he wouldn't have done that if, if he hadn't heard something from the grapevine. Um, and I just have to say that, you know, as a manager, yeah, he's not done very well on the whole or over the piece. Uh, but his service as a player, if you combine that with his year as a manager, I think he deserved a wee bit better. Um, I think he was hung out to dry a little bit um, and he was stitched up a little bit. It could have been done in a more classy way for me. So I, I've got quite a lot of criticism for how it was done, um, especially with those two kind of things, the, the Sky Sports piece and obviously the, the Dutch journalist coming out and pretty much saying that Gio thinks that, or, or Gio's confident that he, he, he's going to go back. So to Kenny's point, it might have been Tom or Kenny, I can't remember, but obviously when he said, I'll leave the country, I'll, I'll I'll, I'll go out the way kind of thing and get it done there. I actually genuinely believe that he left the country to go back home thinking that he was still going to come back to a job. And this has just all happened over the last couple of days for me. Um, that's my opinion. Do any disagree with that or are you on board with that? Don't I know. think it's been something that's happened in the last few days. I had, as you say, letting that thing go out, the year-long thing go out, and the Dutch journalist thing, it's a bit tawdry. If we intended to say it in the phrase, surely, surely that should have been pulled. Could we pull that the same we've not got a director of communications in? Yeah. And that's why that's happened? Or just it's, it's pretty poor form, as you say, Gio's then went, oh, that's nice, we interview him in a room holidays. And then he said, it seems the, the phone call of the day. It's the right decision, but the, the manner of it is a bit tawdry. What I say to that, Dave, does that not maybe allude to perhaps Ross Wilson not having a huge amount of say in it then? Uh, I would hope that's the case. I would hope he would be following it, although indications on Twitter seem to be that the board are flying down south to meet somebody uh, and he's right. involved. Um, Wilson and Robertson was pictured at airports today, presumably flying to meet the manager. So Wilson does seem to be involved, albeit it wasn't mentioned in the statement. Uh, the whole the whole thing's just been a bit disjointed. The length of time it took, the fact those interviews went out, and then the fact it's happened on a Monday when there's been... Wh- when was my last fixture? 
eight days ago or something. Mm. Um, it's a bit disjointed. Ah, the period, yeah, right? The the optics are not good. It, you know, it it looks terrible, but at the same time, it's still the right decision. So. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's a kind of double-edged sword on it. It is the right decision, but I do feel that Gio deserved a wee bit more respect in that, um, especially when you consider that these guys, um, without Gio being the manager, it would have been another loss-making season. Um, yeah, pretty much it would have been a, a, another loss-making season. Um, so Gio inadvertently made these guys look good, um, which I feel was one of the reasons why I don't believe that they actually wanted to do this, uh, which is fair enough. But obviously when the fans turn on a board or a chairman or, or directors, there is only going to ever be one outcome. They're not going to leave, so they're going to take the man who's who's obviously um, causing that kind of uh, abuse towards them out of the, the firing line. Um, but ultimately, as everyone has agreed, that is the right decision, uh, no matter how they ended up there, no matter how they've done it. Um, and that that's that's all that really matters. That's why we're here to discuss it. So I've obviously got some uh, statistics. I say some st- statistics, especially all the statistics for Gilles Reign as Rangers manager. He played 68 games through, you know, four competitions, which is obviously the league, the League Cup, the Scottish Cup, the Europa League and the Champions League. That's five competitions, sorry. Um, accounting really off. So 68 games over five competitions. It's quite a lot of games when you think about it in, in a very short space of time. Uh and his record is 42 games won, 12 drawn, 14 uh, defeats. We scored 131 goals and conceded 72. Now, the 72 goals, that actually surprised me a wee bit. That's quite on the high side. Um, although 131 goals is, uh, is scored is also quite on the high side. So that gives us a kind of positive goal difference of 59 uh, over Gilles Reign. Um, and a win percentage overall is 61.76%, which is there or thereabouts for the average successful Rangers manager. Um, no Rangers manager has ever really dipped below 60% and been successful. You're kind of getting into Pedro territory there, um, wee bit of Murray. So 61%, although not great, is the sort of kind of average uh, for a, a fairly successful Rangers manager. When you break it down further, we played 40 league games under Gio, we won 28, we drew 8 and we lost 4, 3 defeats to Celtic, 1 defeat to Celtic. Um, so overall that 40 games, that's 92 points, um, that's a pretty good pretty good return. Um, however, when you compare it against Celtic's form uh, over the same period of time, they got 109 points, uh, which is just freakish. Um, I had this argument with, uh, not not this argument, but this debate with uh, David Edgar and Stephen Clifford, and and I, I put it into some of you, with you guys, um, so it'd be good to kind of talk about this. But to me, Gio was almost uh, forget the style of football because Rangers' um, style of football secondary, as long as we're winning, I think Gio's fell victim to probably the most consistent Celtic team in history um, and their history because. I wasn't even aware that out of the uh, 40 games, Celtic have won uh, 34, uh, 35 of them. It's uh, 34 or 35. That's an unbelievable record of consistency and it surpasses the kind of Brendan Rodgers level of consistency. So to me, that's been a bit of his downfall because in any other year, 92 points over 40 games, you're you're pretty much winning a league there. Um, so it, it it could be feel it could feel a wee bit hard done by there, but I know especially Dave. I know you're going to be like, I ah, but the style of football, shape. But to my point, we've seen 
a very, very turgid style of play under Walter, um, and it got us results, and none of us were, well, I'm saying none of us, there, there was some groans, but that just showed you how spoiled we really were as a support. Um, but as long as we were getting the wins, that's all that really mattered. And, and Gio, over the piece, won 70% of his games in the SPFL, um, which, again, is, is there or thereabouts for a, a, a decent record as a Rangers manager. In Europe, uh, he played 21 games, he won seven, he drew four and he lost ten, but six of those ten were in the Champions League proper, and then seven if you count USG. Um, that's a 33 and a third percent win rate, so that's he, he won a third of his games in Europe. However, he never lost a two-legged tie. In the Cups, he played seven, we won seven, and we lost none, so he had a 100% Cup record. Um, one Europa League final, one Scottish Cup win, Champions League qualification for the first time in 12 years. Um, Dave, I'll come to you first, because I know you have plenty to say about us, but that's a very decent record. I think history will be kind to you. Do you think that a lot of people in Europe are thinking to themselves right now, why the fuck did they get rid of him? Because reading, or, or when I was writing this and, and, and reading what he'd actually achieved, you know, it is pretty decent, and I get that we're nine points behind, I get the football's been shit, but there is a case for Gio to feel a wee bit hard done by here. Um, and as I said, maybe the kind of, the, not to steal a word for Kenny, but maybe the optics of this from out with Scotland is we're a bit of a basket case there. I like you say, the, the, the stats in that regard uh, sort of fall in Gio's favour a wee bit, but that sort of strips a lot of the context from before and after out in the board. Again, we keep looking back to that army playlist. To cover off the Celtic thing, you're right. They're probably the, this is probably the strongest and most dominant Celtic side I've seen in my lifetime. Martin O'Neill's Celtic side were, were all conquering and strong and went in these long unbeaten runs. Rogers' side were good. But this Celtic side has got a, a real driving force and impetus behind it. And that just can't be ignored. But at the same time, we've gone from a position of relative strength to weakness. Again, the board have to take their share of the blame there. But on the park, for me, there's two elements to it, really. There's the, the stats you see there in terms of wins, draws, losses, and yes, OK, win percentage and so on, could be said to be in Gio's favour. But there's the underlying stats, which I know you're more sceptical about, the things like XG, possession, chance creation, and those were notoriously poor under Van Bronckhurst in comparison to his immediate predecessor, Gerard and Beale, where... We weren't controlling games, we weren't influencing games, we were sloppy in and out of possession, and all the good work that had been done in the preceding four years had largely been sort of not so much eroded as ripped out from more or less day one. I remember thinking of the Hearts game at Tinkast, which I've mentioned a few times. That was poor. Sparta Flag at home was poor, and we were fortunate. And I think the broadcast reaped the benefits of having. One, the second biggest budget by a, a distance in Scotland. And the Scottish League being poorer than it has ever been when we've been good. I think this season we've seen some really insipid performances at Ibrox from the likes of Hearts and Aberdeen, even Hearts at Tynecastle. Teams offer very little. Even the low block that they managed under Gerrard seems to have fallen by the wayside. The league's very poor. Celtic are taking advantage of that and Dunbrockhurst wasn't able to get Rangers to take advantage of that. And there was no you know, trajectory about it. There was no feeling that they were actually going somewhere under Walter. He always knew he would be there and thereabouts. And people moaned about the, 
the staff at but none more so than me, I have to say. But there's always a feeling that at the end of the season would be in the mix for shiny things. But right now under a previous under broadcast, there was no sense of progress and there's the numbers and then you look underneath and imagine what's going on day to day inside the club where the players will be talking to each other and feeding into the board in their own way and there'll be a general mood around the club. Is this working? And for me, pretty much this season, it was apparent it wasn't working on the park and the players are no daft. They all have their own feelings on it and I think those feelings have been made clear to the board and the board have had to act because look at guys, and I know the team can come in for some criticism as well, right? But look at guys like Davis, Arfield and McGregor who have been over the course in good Rangers teams and in the case in bad ones. He's not getting a tune out of guys like that. He's not getting a tune out of anybody in the team, really, with the setup. It had completely run its course. And the last few weeks, the results, some of the things he was trying, formations, tactics, setups, it reeked, absolutely reeked to me of a guy who knew that it was on the wall and was throwing things in to see if he's stuck. And if he didn't, do you know what? He's going to get his payoff and go. And ultimately, I think that's what's happened. The players clearly had disengaged to him over the last few weeks. He seemed pretty disengaged, and the fans, more than anything, had properly disengaged from not just the team, because that can happen, but the club. I would be interested to see the financial impact the last few months have had, because my feeling to speak to you guys and others is that match day ticket sales will be down, merchandise revenue will be down, and general financial flow into the club will be down, as people just get sick of being taken for a ride by the board and Van Brockhurst being the focal point of it. Yeah, Kenny, what do you think about his kind of overall record when it's broken down like that? And do you think there's a case for history to be a lot kinder to Jill? Uh, no, I don't actually. Uh, let's not kid ourselves, Chris. He's been he's gone because he drew at St Martin, he lost at St Johnston, and he drew with Livingston three weeks ago. Uh, we're nine points behind. Uh, in a two-horse race, you can't. You, we're not coming back from this unless there's a miracle. Uh, also, listening to all your stats, I totally agree with them. It is a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of a monster the way Celtic have played. To be fair, but at the end of the day, we've had them in the league four times since he got here, have we not? And he's picked up one point. So if we were to win all them, switch it round. So it's kind of welcome to Scotland, Joe. You've got to beat them. <laughs> you've simply got to beat them. And he's been capable of doing that in the league. That's his problem. That That is his problem at the end of the day. He can't beat them in league games. He's picked up one point. If you think about it that way, no. uh, I just think he's in a, a situation where uh, the cup games, I actually expect him to win every cup game, maybe with the exception of Celtic. Uh, Europe... Um, I'll take I'll, I'll give him the credit I'll, I'll I'll give him a bit of credit in terms of uh, I didn't expect last I, I said it the minute that the Champions League draw was was made I actually said to my son immediately I, I think we'll do well to get a point out of this group to be honest I just thought they were all three of those teams were levels above anything we had played last year uh, so it didn't the manner of the defeats again to me. Absolutely, being absolutely honest, they should have been sacked after the 7-1 game. I don't think a, a, any Rangers manager, sh- manager should lose 6 nothing in any half of football. So, uh, 
st- stats are there to be manipulated, buddy, and that, that's what I would say. That if you actually look at it and say they're at 109 points, take 10 points off of them and give us the 10 points if he'd managed to beat them. And it's a totally different scenario, and, and he's not gone. That's the bottom line for me. He's got to beat them. Every Rangers manager's got to make sure they beat them. Yeah, um, no, I totally agree. The the, the downfall domestically uh, was obviously the um, performances and the results against Celtic. But just on an interesting point, if we were to obviously add the, the 10 points on and take 10 points off for Celtic, that would have us in 102 and Celtic on 99. So literally Celtic are only... Uh, a, a win against St Mirren away from Stoke. That's exactly my point. Aye, it's, it's crazy. You've got to beat them. Aye, it's crazy. Um, not that we're kind of in the business here to praise Celtic, but it is mental amount of consistency uh, from Celtic. But as as you say, I totally agree that the results against Celtic were like a death nail for them because um, I, I mentioned it in the other pod. Um, at one point, I thought he'd had Celtic sussed out, especially after that semi-final. Then we outplayed them at Parkhead a couple of weeks later. Um, very, very unlucky not to get the win. And I was very, very confident going into this season that yeah, we, we had the kind of um, the the Ange style of play, if you will, neutralised. Um, and then we just went back to square one again uh, with that four 0 defeat. And um, that was the kind of beginning of the end. I'd have to say, um, Eddie, what what do you think about um, his record overall? I think you've got a well. You definitely have a point when you say about he's kind of been a victim of coming up against the most consistent, uh, consistent Celtic team in, in their history. It's a difficult position to be in, and they they have been um, lethal. There's no make no bones about it. But the only thing I would counter with you is, yeah, Gio's record isn't that bad when you lay it out like that. But that's not taken into context time or anything. The fact that he was pretty good and had a pretty good win rate in the first half like the first six months he was there is complete contrast to what it's been like the last six months I mean six European losses no seven European losses in that kind of final few months um, when he only lost how many overall ten uh, yes he lost ten yeah. Yeah. so seven in those in that kind of final half a season he's had here and then in that, the start of his career, we kind of, yeah, we lost to Celtic, but they were the only games we lost domestically. But then cut to this season, this first half of the season he's had, and we're losing to teams like St. Johnson, and then we're still drawing. And then on top of that, the football's turgid, and there's no kind of real enjoyment in watching this play either. So I, I think you've got a point if you lay it out, the way you did, but actually, like Kenny said, their stats are there to be manipulated. And actually, when you break it down, this kind of last six months has not been good. Yeah, um, it's uh, we will go into a wee bit more context um, soon. Um, Tom, if you want to round it up with Jill's uh, record. Europe, I mean, you know, the last the, the Champions League games apart, he was he done well for us in Europe, but yeah, just the league domestically, it wasn't good enough. And that's pretty much all you can say. You know, in, I include the Scottish Cup in that. Everything else just wasn't good enough. Yeah. You, you include the Scottish Cup in that? Yeah, I mean, I'm inc- oh, yeah, when I include the Scottish Cup, obviously we won it, 
But I, I'm not saying domestically he wasn't good enough, but we won the Scottish Cup. I'm saying even taking the Scottish Cup into consideration domestically, right. he so wasn't good enough. I thought you were saying that the Scottish Cup run wasn't good enough. I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> what else do you want? <laughs> yeah, well, there was, that, there was that goal we conceded that we shouldn't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was that's pretty harsh. Um, no, I'm with you now. Um, before I talk about context, I think the the, the fairest thing to do um, is give full context to it because this isn't going to be a podcast that's a reactionary podcast. Uh, a reactionary podcast where we just barge you onto the ground. I don't think it deserves it. I think he's had the don't want to call it abuse, but he's had the, the he's had the criticism that he's deserved, and now that he's out of the job. I don't feel that he you now deserves even more criticism because at the end of the day, I put this out on Twitter. I watched these, you know, the piece with Sky Sports. He clearly loves the club. A lot came back to me in terms of how he dealt with the Jimmy Bell situation. Like that was just an incredible statesman. Like, um, don't want to say performance because that's a bit morbid, but you know what I mean. He was, he was a real pillar of strength for the club. I, th- I thought he conducted himself very well, as he always did, to be fair. Um, so I do want to try and give him as much respect as I possibly can by giving the context as it, as it appeared during his reign, but also to the likes of Kenny and Dave um, and om- almost Tom there for criticising him for winning the Scottish Cup. Um, the he does deserve to to be called out for his shortcomings as well. Um, however, Eddie, your point was the first half of his reign was brilliant, and the second half fell apart. What I would say to that, um, again, this is not me looking for excuses. This is not me justifying anything. This isn't me sticking up for Joe. This is me just looking for how it went wrong in the second half. He had to sell Nathan Patterson. Um, for a club record fee, so he had he had that to deal with. Now I know Nathan Patterson wasn't the you know be all and end all. He wasn't even a first team player. He was obviously a, a highly highly rated uh, youth prospect. But he's getting twelve million pounds in the coffles, and uh, that January we signed James Sands, Aaron Ramsey, and Magic Zikowski. And let's be honest, the three of them were pretty much disastrous. Um, apart from Sands, who done okay. But he never really contributed, um, as he really couldn't anyway because of the type of player he is. He's obviously a defensive-minded midfielder. And we had plenty of them, and he, he could play at the back, but were pretty strong at the back last year. So the Sands one was more long-term. Ramsey, but we're looking for an impact there, um, and Zakowski as a, uh, was just purely in the Nathan Patterson role in case anything happened to Tav. And now. Um, Two of those guys are now away. Sands remains. Hasn't really. He's made more of an impact this season than he did last season. But my point is, in terms of context for that, Eddie, uh, I'll come to you. Is there's twelve million pounds coming in the door, and could you honestly, on your with your hand in your heart, say that that January, when we're still in touching distance of Celtic, we're still in the Scottish Cup, we're still in the Europa League. Could you honestly say that he was backed? Um, even despite a very, very expensive Aaron Ramsey signing? I would say no now, but at the time, we weren't really complaining too loud. But the point, to counter that point, we're fans. It's not, we're, it's not really our, our position to judge at the time. We can only judge on what's happened. So, yeah, the evidence is there that he wasn't backed. Tom? No, I don't, I don't believe he was backed either. 
again, I'm quite I'm quite against the board. I think um, I was going to say earlier, but they've got a bowling club mentality. They haven't got the mentality to run the multi-million pound football club that is Rangers. They'd be better off running, you know, Queen's Park Bowling Club or something. Yeah, Kenny. Um, obviously, as I said, twelve million pound comes in. It's a club record fee. Do you think Gio probably felt a wee bit excited about that, about what he could do with that money? Um, and do you feel that the the board, just just this particular January, I'm not talking about the summer window will come up, but do you think that January, if the board uh, or even Ross Wilson, um, if Ross Wilson got it right and made two solid additions, that we could have possibly ran Celtic even closer than we did. The fact that we even had to run Celtic close was pretty pathetic considering we had a lead. But do you feel the, the, the team needed reinforcements considering that summer we didn't even spend any money that summer? We had uh, obviously Fashion Sakala, John Lundstrom and, and uh, Juninho Bacuna who actually left that January as well. So do you feel that Gio was let down a wee bit there? Uh, again, a bit like Eddie, with hindsight, hindsight, yeah, but at the same time, I've got to be honest, uh, when we signed Ramsey and Diallo, uh, I was quite excited about the pair of them, to be honest, uh, and almost instantly, if you remember, uh, Gio wouldn't wouldn't play them. Uh, I, I know Ramsey was injured all the time, but he, he took one look at um, the, the boy Ahmed Diallo at Parkhead, and he, he dropped him for weeks and weeks and weeks just basically looked at him and said, he's not ready. Uh, Ramsey's unreliable. And he played Sands, James Sands quite a lot. Um, was he backed? Not at all. Um, and I think he... I, I've always said that. I thought Gio played a, 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 a little bit of a game, if you like, with Ross Wilson at times. Uh, in terms of uh, his squad, I think he, a lot of the time he was almost crying out for certain players at times and uh, certainly in January I don't think he got them no not at all I don't think that the but again uh, I'm trying to be fair to this board at times as well I think uh, what was it two and a half million quid the loan fee was for Ramsey is that right I think it was Um, the the, the Diallo signing wouldn't have come cheap either I noticed in the accounts the other week it was something like eight million quid or something we spent last year uh, a last season, if you like, uh, and on uh, transfer fees and loan fees and all the rest of it. It's quite a lot of money for a club that's lost 24 million quid, which we did. So, I don't know. Um, was he backed? Maybe as best as the, as the board could, but no, player-wise, definitely not, mate, no. I don't know if it says more about me or more about Ahmed Diallo, the fact that I totally forgot that we signed him in January. Um, I know you made a good point there, Kenny, because I, I did actually forget that we had Diallo. Um, and I think you're right. I think he took one look at Diallo at Parkhead and, and felt he wasn't ready. And I have to say... Um, Could be player as well, but uh, not ready for, I, I, for I, us. I was going to say, I'd have to say I, would, I, I, I actually agree with, with the, the lack of game time that Diallo had because he just wasn't ready um, at all. Uh, rabbit in the headlight stuff at Parkhead and then I think he did get one or two chances after that off the bench, never really impressed and then that whole kind of thing where when the pressure's off and the games are meaningless, these type of players look brilliant um, and that's what happened to Diallo towards the end of the season he came in to dead rubbles and, and he looked fairly decent and we, we can't afford to have these players um, 
that only up to the challenge of playing high pressured football where every result matters um and then they're, they're unable to deal with it but then as soon as the pressure is turned off they're, they're world beaters like totally the wrong type of player and um, totally uh falls on ross wilson for his whole kind of philosophy of uh, i know all these players inside out before i sign them just bullshit um dave what, what, what do you think about the kind of january window was he stitched up a wee bit there um considering that you know when you think about it sands was tied up pretty early zakowski was tied up pretty early so that's fair enough but ramsey and diallo deadline day signings um and then obviously the kind of theme here comparing against Celtic. Celtic had three guys in by the first of January who went on to make massive contributions, not only in the old firm games, but to, to getting them over the line winning the league. I don't want to labour this point, but we, we all know everybody's views on the recruitment and my views Ross Olsen's a fraud who has effectively walked his way at a job that he's not qualified for and has wreaked havoc in terms of his recruitment and adding to the core of the team, the fact we're still using the core of Gerard's first window team, which was rebuild of the worst squad any we've ever seen, is, is a damning indictment in that part of the that part of the whole operation. But in terms of to, to sort of confine the focus to Van Broadcast's part and all this, you can kind of go the other way as well and say yes, recruitment has been dreadful, but at the same time. All the assets that we had on the park have been completely eroded under Van Brockhurst. We had Barisic was linked to an £8 million move to Roma in the August before he came in. Obviously, we, we kept him. Barisic is now worth next to nothing. And his patches are poor form and good form, but he's fairly certain he's going to leave for next to another season's contract. Ryan Kent has had his wings clipped and thrown under the bus by the tactics. They've been given too much to do, so he is now going to leave in the summer for nothing. Morelos ran into the ground towards the end of last season, broken in an injury. That cost us the Europa League. If he'd been playing in that final, I've no doubts we would have won it. So, and Kamara, another asset who we were we all spoke of in glowing terms, £15 million, linked to Juventus within the Baton Island. Those, four of those players are now worth nothing. And that's all happened on Gio's watch. The tactics, the preparation, the fitness, the approach, everything that he's done as a manager, the day job, it's his day job, preparing the team, motivating the team, has cost these players their status in football and it cost us transfer fees. So there's, that's put a £30 million black hole in the accounts right away. The fact that these guys are now worth nothing and that's only sort of scratching the surface across the team. So yes, let down by... By superiors and I take I take your point about obviously Kamara to a certain extent even Barisic, but surely the Morelos and Kent situation, there's nothing much Jill could have done there. I get that obviously uh, Morelos was running into the ground, but we didn't have anybody else because of Kamar Roos injuries and stuff. So surely their drop in value can be landed at the door of Jill. The fact he was played that Dundee with a blatant injury was a risk too far. Can he go to, go to Dundee and win? With I'm him, specifically with talking about the contract situation. With the contract? Aye, they, they, obviously Morelos and Kent are out, out of contract this year, so that's why yep. they're pretty much worthless now. Yep. Well, would they, would, they, would they approach new contracts? I don't know. Would they sign new contracts if they've been playing a more productive team? Would we be able to sell them 
in January for more. So we're, we're probably not going to get rid of them in the coming window because the clubs will just hang on. But I, I still firmly believe the two of them are good players. And somebody at the lower, the lower reaches of, of the Premier League or the Premier League Championship who need, uh, we need six goals or six assists. We'll go and get Rangers three million for either of them. Could possibly have happened, but again, it's a damn indictment in the entire operation. The fact they've not been given new contracts or sold, and they're now they're now non-contributors in a footballing sense as well. Kent has had a limited impact. Morelos is doing next to nothing, and again, these these are these things have happened on Van Bronckhorst's watch, and that leads into the the injury record as well. Sooner or later. That's going to have to, the, the blame, luck, okay, right, luck, injuries happen. Do they happen to this extent with this frequency and this seriousness at any other club? I'd love to, I've been meeting to look into this and I've just not really had the time. I'd love to know what percentage of your wage bill is unavailable now and has been unavailable and how that compares. That should be fairly easy to find and should be a metric that the board look at and go, well, why does, you know, pick a random side for anyone else in Europe, uh, Real Betis, what's their percentage of wage bill out? What's Frankfurt's? What's uh, Dortmund's? What's um, Leipzig's? How many of their players are injured? So that falls in that department as well. The coaching and the fitness levels. My, my opinion is that the fitness has been inadequate, which has led to a lot of soft tissue injuries. We sort of covered that last time. And I think we can see very nice the evidence that players are nowhere near as fit as they once were. And Arfield himself said, we don't get as much running, we don't get as much fitness, we don't get as much physical stuff. And that's now led to what we've got now, still six or seven injured, albeit some of them are coming back after the World Cup. For me, that's another thing that falls into the, the Van Bronckhurst negatives department. It's, a, it's actually the next point I'm going to bring up, obviously the injuries, just before I get to there. Um, another couple of players were sold, Calvin Bassey, Joe Aribo, they were sold, um, best part of 30 million between them, um, Adam, Nathan Parson, we're talking about 40, 40 plus million plus bonus related payments that were due from three players, sale, uh, three, three players being sold. So under Jules' watch, there was two record sales, obviously Parson, and then obviously uh, Calvin Bassey was sold for uh, 20, 20 odd million. Um, he then got, I think it's fair to say he got a fraction of that 40 million, getting nowhere near the full amount, despite Ross Wilson and Stuart Robertson saying that any player sales will be reinvested fully into the playing squad. That just hasn't happened. Um, I think, as I said, generously, I could say maybe £13 million was spent in the summer, which is still a big outlay. It can still be described as backing the manager. However, you've got to back the manager for the positions that need to be filled. Goalkeeper, right wing, centre mid. None of them came in. Well, I'm saying none of them. We could probably point to Matondo as being capable of playing in the right mid, but he's very incapable, in my opinion. And that is what he was up against. He lost an absolute massive presence at the back in Calvin Bassey. He lost a superstar in the waiting in Nathan Patterson. And he lost a guy who could turn a game in Joe Rebo. And quite clearly, the three of them have not been replaced at all. Uh, and I've mentioned this point many, many times. If you can tell me a Dutchman who took over any football club in the world and didn't sign a Dutchman or a Dutch-based player, then um, I'll be very surprised because I think Gio must be the only Dutchman who was never afforded that luxury, despite 
clearly been interested in some players from the Dutch league. I can name two, uh, or maybe obviously Javi Simmons is is a bit kind of pie in the sky. He's Dutch, not Dutch um, based, but or certainly not at the time. But the the boy who who went to Germany, the defender uh, Dohaki, um, clearly that was a a player that Gio identified, and instead he got Ben Davis and John Suter, um, and that brings me nicely to the injury list. You know, I've I've named guys who were injured for an ex- extended period of time under Gio's watch. Yanis um, Hadji, okay, that can happen to anybody, so that's just unlucky. Kemal Roof, just, I find it difficult, I like Kemal Roof, but I find it difficult to class Kemal Roof as anywhere near a successful Rangers signing when you consider the outlay and then you consider the output. Aaron Ramsey, just an absolute waste of money. And that isn't based on what happened in the Europa League final. Again, in the sense of Yanis Hadji, that could have been anybody. That could have been James Tavernier that done that. Um, so I'm not basing Ramsey's failure on that one moment. I'm basing Ramsey's failure on the amount of money we spent in January for him. And then the output we got was so, so little. Um, and, and just on a purely side note, I just watched uh, the Wales game, obviously, and, and Aaron Ramsey just was absolutely uh, flying in terms of fitness. It just did not look unfit to me at all. Um, and that, that that is a case that, or, or a question needs to be asked. Obviously, Aaron Ramsey's whole focus in professional football over the last couple of years has been purely Wales. Eddie, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he's used club football as a as a, as a mechanism to get fit for his international game and, and and that is purely what we facilitated that for and it cost us three million in the process. Philip Hollander, pretty much in the same vein as Kemar Roof. I love Big Hollander, but successful signing he has not been. Um and he's been injured more than he's been available. Tom Lawrence, I mean that's just a guy who you, you just see it straight away, this is a player, and then he gets cruelly taken away from us. John Suter, like we've, we've discussed this, it's a punt worth taking, but we all knew what the risk was there. Morelos, never picked up an injury in his whole time at Rangers, and then when he gets one, it's a big one. And then the, the massive one for me was Conor Golson, not injured in four years, and then he gets one, and it's a big one again. So, he's had that to deal with. Um, Ruff, Hollander is what he inherited. Ramsey is what he was given. Hadji was just a freak accident. Um, Lawrence was just, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I get your point, Dave. Is it Gio's fault because of the type of injury? I am more inclined to think that it's an internal fault of Rangers. I think this is going to continue until we address this problem. We lost Dr. Mark Waller. Um, and the recruitment process to try and replace him was just so botched, it was unbelievable. Technological advances that we've made over the last couple of years have now become technological um, kind of failures because we've not kept up with the trajectory of continually improving, despite the vice chairman saying that we only want to have best in class. We're actually now way behind the the curve in terms of the stuff that should be going on at, at, at Rangers Training Centre. So it had all this to deal with, um, injuries, um, and some of it, as today's point, could have been his fault, but the vast majority was just burnout from relying on guys like Golson and Morelos uh, every game of every season for the last four years. So in my opinion, they were 
time bombs waiting to explode anyway. He also had to inherit inherit just players who are ruined. Um, by that I mean Ruff and Holander. And then he had his fair share of bad luck with Haji and Lawrence. So, Eddie, does that narrative wash with you? Is that um, relevant when we're talking about Giovanni Van Bronckhorst's time at Rangers, the injury record they had? And to Dave's point, which I would counter a little bit, but I, I, I'm more inclined to agree with Dave that there was a complete drop-off in standard of fitness. But we went through, at the end of last season, extra time games, games against Celtic, European games, and we just, as the minutes and those games went on, I'm talking about Braga, Celtic, and even Frankfurt in the final, as those minutes went on, in the extra time, we were getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Um, and yet, we were blown out of our ass after 45 minutes against Livingston at Ibrox this season. Yeah, I think you're right on probably on both accounts to be honest um the injury list that he's had is just ridiculous and i think we've often in the group chats and that pointed out the starting lineup you could put out with all our injured players and it's often been a lot better than the starting lineup we've been able to put out with our fit players but to counter that like dave's brought up is it a problem of geo's making i would say there's definitely an argument there because i've been fairly critical of Gerard, when he's brought up as a potential coming back because I, I do think people have genuinely forgotten how it could be quite turgid under Gio, uh, under Gerard a lot when he was here as well and the low block we, we were constantly hearing about that in interviews after games where we dropped points and how he needed to find a way to break break down the low block and I think we're also forgetting that his answer to that was cross after cross after cross after cross, which is what we've criticised Gio for. But one thing I can't criticise Jared for is the fitness of the players. He had that squad fitter than any professional squad I've ever seen. And, you know, they could play 120 minutes and they would be absolutely fine. And then by the time Gio's had them for nearly a year, like you say, 45 minutes against Livingston and they're knackered. Thomas, your take on it? I can see both points, to be honest. Um, we've got to give him a bit of leeway on the injury front. However, ultimately, um, he's, he, he's he's got to be responsible. And that's pretty much my, yeah, there's, there's, much, there's no other way we can put it. But what I would fling back to you there is, obviously, um, Ross Wilson has given him tools like John Sill. And this is, again, the, the communication with the club. Who's signing the players? Is it Wilson? Is, what, what inputs do you got on it? I mean, I'm, I'm not a fan of Ross Wilson, and, you know, he should have followed him out the door today as well. You know, I, I, I firmly believe that that guy has no place at our club anymore. He'd never had a place in the first place, but somebody's got to carry, somebody's got to carry the can for the fact for the fact it's been, you know, we're nine points behind them, nine points behind Celtic at the halfway point of the season. You can't sack the team, so who do you sack? Well, I think that's pretty obvious because that's what we're going to discuss and the, the man who carries the can for that is, is, is now gone. Kenny, what's, what's your take on it? Um, I, I think it's a culmination of everything that you said, actually. Uh, the, the first, the, when you were speaking, when you were talking about it, the, the one thing that I'd, I'd 
I do genuinely think is that I, I, I think this season in particular, we are, we have asked the, the 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 core of that squad to go sixty times a season over four or five years now, uh, and that, that that fatigue has has made a it's really obvious this season that we have asked far too many of them to go too far. Uh, that squad needs torn apart, and uh, as we all know. But I mentioned it to you the last time I was on with you uh, that this is the unfittest Rangers team I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, the only teams that I can recall being as unfit as this are Ali McCoy's teams in the lower leagues, actually, uh, where you could tell that they they, they sauntered through those leagues. Uh, but the this is the Scottish Premier League. The one thing that the these teams are that we're going to face are ultra fit, and we we it's really obvious that we aren't uh, capable of matching um, at times that fitness, and th- that is the issue for me in the sense that I think that a lot of the time those injuries are coming. That is, Again, Dave alluded to their muscle injuries. That comes from a lack of fitness all the time. Every single time, that will be... A, for me, usually, that that's what it will be. Yeah, no, I think, um, as we've discussed, we'll come to Dave, because I know Dave will have a lot to say about this. He's, a, a, he's obviously had a lot to say about it, but um, to sum it up, but I think it's a, a bit of both. I think the club's recruitment, in terms of the type of player that we're signing, and Gio's lack of em- uh, emphasis on the fitness side of things has had a, an effect on the injuries. And of course, uh, the other point I made, I think we're pretty much way behind where an elite level football club should be. I think we improved beyond recognition in that department under Gerard. But the minute Gerard left, it, it seemed to go downhill because Rangers seemed to take their eye off the ball that these things need to constantly be on top. Uh, we need to be constantly on top of these things. Um, which we're, shows, we're taking gambles, Chris, yeah. all the time. Yeah, is it taking gambles, Kenny, or is it just the guy who's in charge of this, we keep coming back to him, Ross Wilson, the guy who's in charge of this just does not know what he's doing and he got lucky because Gerard played elite-level football his whole career and he obviously knew what he wanted. And then the minute he goes, Wilson probably get no experience in this sort of thing, um, which is mental when you think about it. But the body of what suggests that he doesn't have any experience in, in upgrading um, sports science and recovery um, science for, for, for injuries and stuff like that. Is it a gamble? Is it Or is it just the guy who's in charge of making these decisions just is out his depth because that that's a, I think it's the latter. Do you know you're saying it out his depth? I'll tell you, what I'll say. Going by Eddie's blog last week, that uh, really surprised me. Uh, I think he thinks that the budget, uh, the the environment he's in, is beneath him. To be honest, I well, think he's that aloof. That it's it's. Um... That that is, I, I can tell you right now that, that what 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 I did blogged about last week in the Gaston Russell's and the hundred percent true. He had his eyes on the Newcastle job. He was giving yeah. Robertson to go for it. Um, Stuart Robertson basically said, "You go for it, and you know what? If you don't get it, you know you've got a job here." Like crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, 
And I'm, I, I, I would suggest that we're going to speak about a guy who was already at the club who could possibly be returning to the club, which just shows you that, um, to, to Tom's point, complete bowling club mentality, bullshit. But Dave, um, sum up the kind of injury problems we've been having. Like I said, for me, it should be a fairly standardised metric across world football, and if it's not, I'm surprised that clubs get together and they meet at these various conferences. It should be a metric. What is your percentage of your wage bill that's available versus unavailable? That's the only real measure you've got of uh, how your fitness department's performing. You could slice that in other ways, but that's, for me, as good a way as any. Ours has been dreadful under several managers, Warburton and Pedro as well. The, the other point within that, I suppose you could say, is that do players feel the injuries a wee bit more when things are going badly? Very probably, in my opinion. He said a lot to deal with. Some of it's of his own making. You mentioned the extra times that we had towards the end of last season. And yes, we really did come into our own and finish strongly in those games. But the preparatory work for that would have been done in the summer prior. So we really, last April, May, the extra times, the work for that was done the preceding July and August. Now we've had a pre-season under the broadcast exclusively. Fitness levels are in the grubber. We're gassed after an hour. We all thought that was going to be a edge over Celtic because then gassing out because of the high intensity. And we're in a worse state with less intensity. And for me, the, the bar rises, the whole thing. You mentioned it there, Chris. The whole setup of the bar rises, the standards. Gerard told the standards and the board are wholly inadequate to the task of keeping that going and enforcing that. It feels to me, and I think this is shared by the majority of the fan base, whether it's articulated in this way or not, is that the whole feeling in the last four years of progress and development becoming an elite club, moving on, obviously we've 10 years again in that front, have, have gone. It feels a bit, the soul of what we've been doing in the last couple of years feels to have been ripped out it. And I know a lot of my close pals are, are really, they're not turning away from the club, but their day-to-day interest is lessening because of this feeling. And that's been multiplied across enough people, and as I say, that has a, a financial impact. And I, the board does every bit to blame, but the broadcast is easy. easy. And, and, real, in business terms, any football manager is only ever a temporary middle manager. So they're the first guy to go. It's the most temporary job. It's the least secure job. The hard, the easiest to get rid of. So he's the guy who has to carry the can. To, to round off the whole thing with broadcast for all the the valid points you've raised about things that could go in his favour and has he been hard done by. For me, simply boils down to the fact that could you see it improving? Even if things had gone perfectly for him, could we see it improving on the park? Could we see the results coming? Could we see the performances against Celtic improving? The answer to me is no. I, I just couldn't see any way of this turning round. And that view's only been reaffirmed in the last five or six weeks. And for, for that reason more than anything else, taking into account all the factors you mentioned, it was never going to turn around under him. What we need now is a manager who can work on a very limited budget with players in a variety of mental states and levels of disinterest and try and get some kind of tune out. And it's going to have to be a kind of Walter taking over for uh, Le Guin type miracle to try and get the season back on track, which I'm sure we'll discuss it, but that leads into the type of manager we need. Yeah. Um... 
before we come on to the contenders, and we're basing the contenders purely on the betting odds, uh, which isn't a great metric, but um, if any of you guys have got anybody you want to, take a, uh, want to give a shout out to who um, isn't on, on the list I've got, um, then feel free. But before we come on to that, obviously, it, to me... I will. Ah, no, no, you won't. I'll be muting you. Um, <laughs> to me, the, the, the problem the new man's going to have is the problems we've all been discussing. The Rangers training centre isn't fit for purpose at the moment for an elite level football club, which we like to think that we are. The recruitment is not good enough at all in any way, shape or form. Um, and that isn't, uh, you know, uh, shock job. That's 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 pretty much fact now. We've got, we've got a body of evidence for the last four windows uh, that that um, probably Antonio Cholak is the only one that's actually made an uh, John Lundstrom and Antonio Cholak are the ones that have probably made the most impact. That's two players out of what, maybe 15, 16, 17 seconds. Just not good enough at all. So the new man has to work with those restraints. Um, and the only, the only thing I can see that will change those constraints is the man who's in charge of those constraints leaves the football club. Because in my opinion, he should have left before Gio left. I wouldn't have been against Gio getting a fair crack at the whip this January by identifying his own signings or by getting a new sporting director in and then a new approach. I would have been on board for that. I think Rangers board would have got a decent amount of goodwill that that change has been made. But instead, they've went for the, the coach and they've kept the man who I am describing in a job, who is obviously Ross Wilson. So for me, I'm nervous about the new man coming in because he's still going to work with the same players, the same bullshit that Wilson provides um, in terms of players and facilities and all this one-club ethos bullshit that is so disjointed and poor quality coaches within the youth team and the B team. And then just there, there seems to be a real lack of standards within our setup at the moment. Um I think you not not to pick on the, the young lad, but I think you see the fact that Alex Lowry's been allowed to develop an ego just shouldn't be allowed to happen at all. Um and that 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 comes from the setup. There's 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 no other way of, of looking at it either. Um I remember quite vividly uh, the start of the 55 season that Stephen Gerrard spoke out about Eagles in the Youth Academy. He totally called out the fact that these players, these young players, weren't getting the chance of in Rangers first team because of developing Eagles. And it seems to me that that, that problem, maybe not as much, uh, maybe not as big as it was under Gerrard, but it seems to me that that problem's still there and it's never been fully addressed. Um, and yet, the the bosses of Ross Wilson say that he's done a very good job and they describe Rangers as being best in class in all departments. They say that the bar always rises and um, they wax lyrical about Ross Wilson and turn by, by, by using sentences such as this is the best Rangers team since they, they, they took over, which is... It's just um, sensationalist bullshit that I don't think anyone bought at the time, but certainly now it's looking very foolish that that was even a thing. 
So that's my nervousness around the new managers. So we can discuss that, but um, let's discuss the contenders. So I'll go with. Sorry, Chris. Can we just can I just have a quick word about Ross Wilson? Yeah. Um, we don't know how the board, what the board are using, to, um, what the, what the board are grading them against. I mean, if they're saying, in terms of the balance sheet, the guys, the guys, amazing. The guy walks on water. That's he's exactly. Over, he's taking over twenty million and we've spent about three. That that the is fantastic. That that is you, you've you've nailed it. That's that's the only metric they can be using to suggest that Ross Wilson's doing a good job, which shows that. I think, look, listen, I'm, I'm critical of the board because of the way they've handled this season. Um, I'm critical of the board for the way they've handled certain PR things over the last couple of seasons. But at the end of the day, are you gonna que- would I have a question that this Rangers board don't have Rangers interest at heart? Of course they do. They're Rangers men. Right? You, can never, you can never say otherwise. But what this board have shown consistently over the last 18 months, since, since 55 really, and maybe you could be a wee bit more generous and say since COVID, because obviously we took a massive hit, is they will sell anything and everything and anything. And they will rinse us so that they can make as much money as they can. Yeah, if, it's, if it's not nailed down at Ibrox or, or the training centre, it's, it's for sale. Yeah, and listen, even non-physical beans are being sold and, 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 and by that I mean they almost sold the absolute soul of other football club to go for a loving in Australia uh, yep. with Celtic. so they don't care really about you know I'm not I'm, I'm almost almost contradicting myself here but they, they don't care as long as there's a price there and for me that's where it comes down to where Ross Wilson's doing a good job. He has brought in a shitload of money. And yeah, the the sale for Parson was the one thing I will give him credit for. They give him credit for Bassey. You know what I mean? Like that's that's how Gio's work, you know what I mean? Like Gio gave him the chance in the centre half position where Gerard didn't. And Gio seen something in him straight away, which Gerard didn't. And Gio made an absolute monster out of, of Calvin Bassey. But even at that, it was botched. Even at that, it was botched. The 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 stuff coming out of Ibrox before we sold them was it's gonna we are gonna surpass the Kieran Tierney transfer record of Scotland. And if we don't, he's not getting sold. We then sell him for twenty million, five million pound less than the Kieran Tierney transfer. It's just what's that all about? Joe Rebo, am I gonna give Ross Wilson credit for the sale of Joe Rebo? I absolutely will not because nope. he did fine. That was Mark Allen signing, and then. If anything, we undersold him. We undersold him completely. Six million pounds for Joe Arrivo is just ridiculous. Um, and we sacrificed essentially four million pounds because we would have got ten for Joe Arrivo. We sacrificed that four million pounds over a certain period of time so that we got a sell on. Um, it's just I, I just don't understand it at all. But as I say, at the end of the day, the balance sheet is. What gives this Rangers board a real hard on for Ross Wilson? It's can I can I just say something, Chris? I'm not giving Ross Wilson any credit for any of those sales. None, not at all. Me neither. Me neither. Not one. Absolutely none. I think you know, I'm being. I'm, I, I probably am being generous for the Patterson sale, but the, the the only reason I would give 
Wilson credit for the Patterson sale is because it had been talked about for a full year. And it seems to me, um, I have absolutely no knowledge of this, but it seems to me that he was in negotiating uh, in negotiations with Everton for that full year to get us maximum amount of money. Um, so I, I'm inclined to probably give him credit for that, but I, get, I take your point. He, I'm just going to interject there. I'm going to say I, the story I heard about the Nathan Patterson deal was that he was meant to sign last forever last summer. Yeah. But he took COVID. Oh, really? I've not heard yeah. that. Yeah. Oh. Uh, he took COVID and Everton said, Leave it. We can't get him down. We'll do it in January. Well, End of story. The deal was done last summer, uh, as far as I'm aware. Anyway, that that's the story I heard. But uh, again, Calvin Bassey and the, I'm giving him no credit for that. No, no absolutely not. That, that was a that was. Uh, have you heard the 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 podcast with what's the boy's name? Daryl Curry uh, with Mick Bill. You were talk, you mentioned it earlier on. Um, Mick Beale actually said we we were cute, we were clever about it, we were getting friendly games with players, you know, again with teams that had players that we we had wanted to look at. Um, that's not his signing either. And Joe Arebo, nah, Joe Arebo was always going to go to the Premier League. He deserves, honestly, Chris, I'm not just saying that he deserves no credit whatsoever, Ross Wilson, for any money that's come into that football club. None. I'm totally on board with with Bassey and Arrivo. Um, Bassey uh, credit goes to Gerard and Bill, obviously identifying him, getting him in the building, and then massive credit has to go to Gio for bringing him on to just, as I said, be an absolute monster of a player. And then the Joe Arrivo situation, Joe Allen and uh, not Joe Allen, uh, Mark Allen and uh, Stephen Gerrard identified Arrivo. Uh, they brought him in, they, they sold a dream to him and he achieved that dream and, and in my opinion we still undersold him despite him having a year left in his contract he scored me Europa and then we sell him for 6 million quid just don't, just don't get it but um, that's the constraint of the new manager they're still going to have to work with Ross Wilson um, and that's where my nervousness is now as I said look I've taken pure, uh, purely on the, the odds of the incoming Rangers manager, and it's not just the odds from one site, it's a, it's a kind of, you know, the odd checker, so it's a kind of average odd. Um, the the favourite at the moment is Michael Beale, followed by Sean Deitch, followed by Kevin Muscat, followed by Ralph uh, Hassenhutl, followed by Stephen Gerrard, so I'll go through them quickly. Beale, an obvious link, um, spent many years at Rangers, done fairly okay at QPR so far, um, was highly touted um, to take a, a job in the Premier League, not only uh, a couple of weeks ago, Showed a bit of loyalty there by not taking it, um, so it looked unlikely that that would be a, a viable option for Rangers. But it seems now more more likely that it, it will be Michael Beale. Um Sean Deitch again, the the, the link's pretty obvious. Isn't it? He, he's, he's out of job. He's done well in the Premier League. Um, mentioned Rangers a couple of weeks ago in Talk Sports, so you can see that. Kevin Muscat, I'll come back to Raf Hassan Hassan who worked with Ross Wilson. Ross Wilson actually employed him for Southampton, and then of course Stephen Gerrard, he's out of job, uh, 55 league uh, uh, title winner, um, an obvious link there. Uh, for me, obviously, Kevin Muscat is, is is my sort of kind of uh, preferred choice. I feel that Muscat is something completely. As much as it's out the box, I understand the correlation between the other side of the city. I get that. Um, but I, as I said on Twitter uh, a couple of hours ago, actually, 
I'm not too precious about that. If they want to say we're copying them, I really couldn't give a fuck, to be honest. I really could not care. They are desperate to have their mojo moment or whatever, um, and they always will be, so that that's fine. But we, we must get three A-leagues, and then he won the J-league. Um, he's 42 or 43. Those are the credentials on the football side, but the other side of it, to be a Rangers manager, I think it's pretty obvious now, you need to be a bastard. You need to be a right, nasty bastard. Um, the good guy thing does not work. Gerard was a bastard. Walter Smith, I, I, you, you just did not mess with Walter Smith. As soon as he personified being a bastard, even Alex McLeish. Um, and then you look at the failures over the years. Pedro, just a complete maniac. Matt Warburton, too nice. Graham Murray, almost in tears at the side of the park after getting scudded by Dundee again. Paul Le Guin just did not get it at all. Um, and then Giovanni Van Bronckers, probably one of the nicest Rangers managers we've ever had. I think we need a proper, proper bastard in there. And that's why Kevin Muscat ticks all the boxes. And of course, he knows that... I, I hate, obviously, being branded with a shit argument, but I think it is essential that the next guy needs to have some sort of knowledge of the club, of British football, and Kevin Muscat played the majority of his career in uh, the UK and obviously spent a season at Rangers. And then obviously his 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 best mate is is his best mate's pretty cleared up in Rangers. So I'm I'm pretty sure that Muscat's knowledge in Rangers is is it's okay. It's okay. So that's why he's my choice. Um Obviously, at the time of recording, it looks like it is going to be Michael Beal. Um, but I'll, I'll come, I'll come round as all. Tom, I'll start with you. So, Beal, Deitch, Muscat, Hasenhutl, Gerrard. Um, any of them take your fancy or have you got somebody else? No, to be honest. Um, Gerrard, I think everybody looks at Gerrard because of what he did for us, for 55. But we just know we'd be sat, if we, if we were to go for Gerrard, you'd be sat expecting to run away back down to England as soon as another club flooded their eyelashes at him. Michael Beale, it's I don't think he's he's ready to come to us yet. Kevin Muscat, yeah, I, I agree. We do need we do need a bastard. We need a, a hard we need a hard man. We need somebody who takes no shit. But if we get Muscat, would we also need to get a manager who could, you know, do the old firm games because he never managed one for us when he played for us. Because McLeish didn't trust him. That's true. That's true. <laughs> But I mean, I'm yeah. I mean, Hassan Hootel, no, I don't want a man who cried by the side of the pitch when when they got scudded. So yeah, I, I'm 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 really struggling to think of a, a manager who could come in. I mean, I'm surprised and I'm I'm glad nobody's nobody suggested Kevin Thompson or Barry Ferguson yet. But I would say give it another day or two. One of those two will be connected to well, coming in. You're actually wrong there. Um, there's been plenty suggesting. <laughs> I must have missed that one. On on, on this podcast, uh, that's certainly I'll, I'll, I'll not entertain suggestions like that. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not against Kevin Thompson having a role, but certainly Barry Ferguson, a hero. I mean, um, like that. That just that's a disaster went to happen. But um, yeah, a role, yes. Manager, no. Yeah. Do you take the, the that list as the, those five guys: Bill, Deitch, Muscat, Ralph, <laughs> and then well, Jeff? Um, we look at you go. Gerard connected. Ger- Gerard connected. Bill connected. Deitch so, out of work. Well, has to do a lot of work. And your opinion: those five as one of those five going to be the next Rangers manager, or do you have another name to fling in there? I honestly couldn't call it. I mean, I could. 
I mean, there's been a few talks and some some names I wouldn't even like to pronounce tonight. I mean, um, see, 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 see something. Although I can't even pronounce the guy's name, unfortunately. See something. <laughs> I can see right now the next Rangers manager see something. Um, see, see, see something or other, but who does he manage? What was the name? What? He was who's the actual boys manager, Young Boys Burn. I've absolutely no idea. Kenny, same question to you. Obviously, uh, Bill Deitch, Muscat, Hassan Hill, uh, Gerard. What what one of those? Uh, well, is it going to be one of those? Do you think? Yeah, it will be. Uh, I, I think it will be McBeal. Um, I I wanted Beal to get it when Gerard left. I, I I thought it was that continuation that you know that that you want. Um, uh, Hassan Hootle, no, thank you. Absolutely not. Not not my kind of guy. Um, Peter Boss, as you you said, I, I, I would, if you want to be out out the box a bit, I would consider him. But I don't think he stays anywhere particularly uh, for or for any length of time. If you know what I mean. So you know, if you're looking for a long term manager, he's not your man. Uh, Knutson, no thanks. Um, Dice, um. Uh, oddly enough, I, I've seen a lot of negativity about Sean Dyche, you know, the way he plays football, but I, I've, I've watched a lot of the Championship over the years, and I'll tell you what, when, when he does, does uh, when he's in the Championship, his teams have played really well. Um, I wouldn't be too disappointed with Sean Dyche, but Mick Beale for me, mate, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, you against uh, Kevin Muscat at all? Uh, no, but uh, I've heard his name mentioned a lot over the last uh, week or so, um, and I don't know. <laughs> hey? Mainly by me. <laughs> well, yeah, but <laughs> but I, I haven't. Uh, I've got to be honest. I don't know enough about him. I know he's just won the Japanese league recently, hasn't he? Yeah. But that's all I know about him. I, I don't know a huge amount. He's his uh, managerial career, so I can't. I can't imagine a Rangers manager with that name. Uh, I just, I just couldn't. Um, Dave, what, what oh, about you? Buzz. <laughs> pretty much in that, I think. Uh, for me, it's less important. The knowing the club thing, I think, is a bit of, a wee bit of a red herring. Like, Zunis and McLeish knew the club as fans, I suppose. Uh, for me, it's more important that we get the culture of Scotland. The Scottish League's what I call unique, right? It's a bit of a kind of boys club gang where Scottish players who've grown up and know each other tend to bully outsiders in close ranks. The media are a bit like that as well. Tom talked about a bowling club mentality. That's just right. So you've got all these players who all grew up playing together. The outsiders come in with fancy ideas and we instinctively in Scotland try and upend these things unless they get it. And look across the city at guys who got it. Martin O'Neill, Never played in Scotland, obviously, presumably a Celtic fan, knew the culture. Foster Cobbler has grasped the culture right away. I think Australia's maybe quite similar in a lot of respects to Scotland, and that's why he's done it. And then his, his way of handling the media, his way of handling his players, his man management are all excellent. So for me, somebody who understands the culture more than anything else, Hazen Huttle and Boz and Sione, never heard them. Weird that we are playing Leverkusen in a friendly, though, and they've just got a hammer, I don't know, that smells a wee bit. Uh, 
Guys coming in with projects, with tactics, with ideas. I think Van Brockers turned into that trap. I think Gwen definitely did. And Pedro is the fucking emblem of that. Come here with your ideas and try and change Scottish football to your designs. No, you need to come in, understand first and foremost that it's a man-management league and it's a fight. Tactics come second. That the media are going to do their best to throw you off if you appear the funny foreigner thing. If you appear in any way odd or out there, they're just going to round on you and your time will be limited. I do think, maybe not the funny foreigner thing, but I think pressure of Van Bronckhurst has gave us a result. But a bit, small way, but partly because of his ideas. It needs to be a, for me, it needs to be a British manager. Uh, connection to the club is less important, but somebody who gets the Scottish culture, gets the league, and can get players fighting for him. So that narrows that for me down to one of Beal or Dice, really, are the two for me. Must get, as Kenny says, just a bit too much in our own content. I've never seen these teams play. I'm not sure he can translate success in these leagues to here as easily as Postacoglu has made it look. So for me, that just, just falls outside the realms of what I'd be looking for. And is, that who, is there any other British managers in the running? Gerald. Nah, I'm not going back there. But I think Gerald was a bit of a two in the sense that he was the lure that allowed us to bring up a ready-made, more or less elite-level backroom staff from Liverpool wholesale. We've got Coulshaw, Milsom, Beal. Don't forget Mark Wallen as well. We brought that whole outfit up lock stock. Presumably Liverpool effectively thought they were loaning it to get it back at some stage, but that crew, all of them, drove the standards. McAllister as well. That crew drove the standards and drove the improvements in the club. And at Lightning doesn't strike twice. I'm not even sure it's stuck once, if you've been honest, if you look at Gerald's tenure as a whole, success-wise. Uh, I think on his own, I haven't put together his own backroom staff, as I've seen at Aston Villa. Uh, nah, it's a hard no for me on Gerard, I'm afraid. Uh, and that's nothing to do with the manner of his leaving. If it, if I thought he was bringing that team back or a similar team, I might reconsider it. It's a hard no. Bill, most of the continuity. Dyche, I think, has a more immediate chance of a bounce and getting the players on side. So, for me, it's a toss-up between those two. And uh, Eddie, you're not permitted to mention Rob Page in any way, shape or form. Uh, that's banned just purely on uh, Sean Dyche, Michael Beale, Ralph Hasenhutl, Kevin Muscat, Stephen Gerrard and anyone else you want to add apart from Rob Page. Um, I wouldn't be massively against Beale. Uh, it wouldn't be my first choice just because I think, you know, yeah, we've seen enough of him, and yeah, we can credit him with when when things went well, especially 55. But if we're going to credit him for when it went well, then he has to take a bit of the blame for when it didn't go well. And like I said earlier, the the kind of not being able to beat the low block and never really changing. It was a bit Warburton-esque. We didn't really change our our plan was just to do plan A better. Um, but at the same time, when it was good, it was actually really quite good and I quite like Beal and um, I said to you guys in the chat earlier I'm sure that I actually thought he's been kind of angling for the job for a few weeks now he came back to the 
like first kind of major time he's come back and been amongst the fans was as pressure started to mount on Gio. Then there was an interview that he did with someone where he'd said if they'd been in charge all the se- all season last season, then we would have won the league. And it just felt like he was kind of subtly hinting at wanting to be back there and putting a bit more pressure on Gio, which I wasn't overly keen on if that's definitely what he was doing. Um, Muska, I wouldn't be against either. Like like you said, he's uh, kind of no-nonsense well, he was no nonsense player. I don't know what he's like as a manager. I haven't really followed his managerial career, but he's got that kind of bastard element to him that I think always leads to a bit of success with a Rangers manager. Outside of that, I'm not really infused by the other options that you've provided. Um, I guess if I was going to try and think outside the box, I'd probably go with someone like Rob Page. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even out of the box. That's just that's just, that's just crazy talk, Rob. <laughs> I hope I hope I do know that you've laboured this. I hope we appoint Rob Page with immediate effect ahead of like a crucial World Cup quarter final. Oh yeah, I didn't think of that. You, you could be you could be wishing for. Uh, be careful what you wish for here because you'll be getting lining it up and then Mr. Page is getting unveiled at Ibrox while Wales oil. Can I, can I, I, no, I'll tell you what will happen. We'll reach the World Cup final, we'll go at penalties, and then oh, Rob, know, no, 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 and then Ramsey will step up and go, I'll, I'll take a penalty since Rob isn't here to tell me no, and he'll miss. Oh, I see that. I think it's. I think we can say. I think we can put. A, I think we can put a lid on this box. Welshmen and Rangers just don't work. Right? They just don't. Yeah, hey, double. Wait a minute. I will actually. Uh, hey, why aren't you necking? <laughs> My mate. <laughs> um. Yeah, for me, um, if I if I was to choose tomorrow or tonight or whatever who the next Rangers manager would be, if I was in that position, I I would go for I would definitely go for Muscat. Um, but obviously, I'm not in that position, and it looks like it will probably be Michael Beale. Now I've got a um, I've got a bit of an issue with it, and it's nothing to do with Michael Beale himself. It's the fact that um, I mentioned to you guys offline. It just sums up this Rangers board that this guy was in the building not even a year ago. Well, it was a year ago, exactly. Um, He was in the building a year ago. Gerard left. He wasn't offered the job. We let him go. We've then spent a vast amount of wages on Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. We've then spent a vast amount of compensation. There's no figure being released yet, but you'd imagine it being the millions getting rid of Van Bronckhorst just to bring back the guy who was already in the building and that's going to cost a... Reported 1.5 million to bring him back in the building. But that, that's just this Rangers board, isn't it? It's just crazy decisions when really the answer was staring him right in the face the whole time because I don't think anybody on this pod or anyone listening to this pod would have been against uh, Michael Beale being appointed the Rangers manager when Gerard left anyway. So. It was, the, it was the obvious choice. I'm sure was, you guys, it was just Kenny said he offered to take the team for the semi final debacle and the board told him no. That came for one of you guys. It came for somebody I would trust. So I also heard that that Gerard was so desperate at the time to keep him that he got something like seven times his salary to be the first team coach at Villa from what he was on at Rangers. Mm-hmm. It was he was over. He was on about two million quid a year. That's what they gave him. Um, so um, hard to compete with that, to be honest. Yeah, I still think, though, Kenny, if he was asked a question, um, he, he would have... I agree. 
Actually, yeah. I agree. Would have taken it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like as I said, I'm not against Bill getting it. It's just that reason just really bugs me. So many poor amateur decisions, and I suppose in a way that's why I'm maybe feeling a wee bit deflated about Jill leaving. Um, because yeah, it's the right decision. I agree, it's the right decision. But we've done it with no plan. That that's no big football teams don't do that. They they sack a guy, they identify a guy, before they sack the guy, sorry, they then sack the guy and they bring the guy in that they've identified. Um, every football club in the world does that. Um, that. That's a serious club, you know what I mean? You 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 look at, you know, Watford, for example, I don't want to be a Watford. I never, ever, ever want Rangers to become Watford, but they don't sack a guy unless they've got the guy lined up. They sack a guy at 12 o'clock and by 3 o'clock the new guys in. Now, I don't expect that to be the standard, but you just know that there is no set plan here. There is no number one target. There is going to be a process, rightly or wrongly, but there is going to be a process to see who's interested. We'll talk to these guys and then we'll, we'll make a decision. I don't think that's the right, the right way forward. However, um, we do have some time on our hands because of the break, and that is probably a saving grace for this board. But they absolutely have to get it right. Um, and as I said, it is, it is looking like Michael Beale, so I won't I won't be against it. The only note of caution I would have is Michael Beale is uh, clearly a very very good coach. He's he's no really proven yet if he's going to be a good manager because there is a difference between a coach and a manager. Um, he has gone through a difficult spell with QPR, which coincided with the links to Wolves. Uh, Wolf. And I will be honest, I, I do I do watch QPR mainly because of Michael Beale um, and a wee bit because I like London Dykes. But um, it, for me, uh, if I'm being kind of critical of assessing this difficult spell he is currently going through, which is, I think it's five defeats in the bounce now, he just doesn't seem to have an idea how to turn it around. He's, as uh, Eddie said, it's pretty much the same formula, just do plan A better, um, which is a bit wobbling-like. But, um, look, that, that's by the by. If he gets the job, I, I don't expect that to be an issue straight away. I think we've all got a bounce. Um, and, again, that's what worries me, because these players have shown consistently that when... The shit hits the fan, they can reset themselves and then they they can regroup and they can go on a run again. And then the shit will hit the fan again and then they regroup and they go on a run again because they're constantly saving their own Rangers careers and their Rangers careers have probably extended past the point where they should have purely because they've shown a resilience, which is good to see at times, but when the partners, they fuck all the competitions... They then regroup, they then start well in the competitions again, and then they fuck it again. There has to come a point where you just you just stop that and you, you get rid. And I think that the next manager, that has got to be his number one priority. Identify the five or six players that need to be moved on for various reasons, whether it's their time in the club is just petered out, age, uh, we better form, injury records, um, I, I, I'm, I'm identifying maybe five or six, but I genuinely believe there should be a, at least ten leaving. And um, when you consider, obviously, uh, Roof and Hollander, uh, you know, they, they, they're two guys that, that should certainly be moved out. No, not because they're not good enough. They certainly are good enough, but purely because of their injury records. And then you look at, obviously, Stephen Davis, Scott Arfield, Alan McGregor. Um, you know, age is just, it's, it's a major... Uh, 
I was going to say concern, but it's it's now turned into a problem. Let's be honest; these three guys are not able to perform to the level that we need them to perform consistently. Um, and then you look at you look, you look at other players, maybe Barisic, um, maybe even Ryan Jack. Uh, there's a whole load of players there that that probably don't even moved on, and that is the first job of the manager. And he's not going to be able to do that in January. Uh, he's going to have to do that in January right through to the summer and possibly even into next January. So that requires some patience. Is he going to get that from the Rangers fans? I don't know. because I, I don't think we're a very patient bunch. We expect immediate success. However, I think what will work well um, in the new manager's favour is we've all pretty much resigned ourselves to know we're in the league. So the pressure will be off in terms of that. We will judge them on, obviously, the League Cup, the Scottish Cup. But the pressure being off in the league could be a massive um, positive for them. So just basically uh, that's that's my summary of how I see uh, the, the the new manager and, and, and his remit. Um I'll come round you guys just to kinda of round it off. Uh, we'll start with you, Kenny. Do you do you agree with that or anything you want to add, anything you want to disagree with? No, I I, I kinda of agree with most of what you said there actually. The, the one thing again listening to you there that I will take from that is that no matter who gets it, Chris, this is uh this is now a process. This this squad is done. Um, we are in a, a period of transition, if you want to call it that, but uh, Rangers fans won't give a manager any... Look, look, we've just bagged a manager after a year, right, who's <laughs> taken us to a European final. He, no, no matter who comes in, they're not going to get uh, the patience that you might get at other clubs. You have to win. So... Uh, the, the, this is part of the reason why I want McBeal to get it because I do think that uh, he's coming in if he if it is him at a period that's quite similar to to where Gerard came in and he's used to it where there is a complete transition of of players and if he's allowed to sign his own players uh, or has a, a major say in the signing of players then that. If if we we need a an overhaul here, and for me, Ross Wilson's a problem. But if 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 he's allowing the uh, the the next manager to come in and have a major say, then I uh, I yeah I know yeah. Tom, what about you? Well, the room has to be essentially win the league. That's by the you know that's the be all and end all. You you're saying win the league this season? No, not this season. I mean now personally, I think we've. So you go, you're really all morphing into Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say run them closer. So it's nine at the moment. I would say get it to at least three points this season, and then win the league next season. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, you're not wrong. It's it's uh, it sounds so simple, but yet we make it look so so difficult. Uh, Dave, what about you? For me, the remit's a lot. It's very straightforward. The, the new manager will get to the end of the season, no matter what I would think. The remit's very simple. Two fun games left. Kick fuck out of Celtic and every single one of them. Kick fuck out of every op- other opponent in the league and demonstrate a level of fight heart, dig and grit that was introduced by Gerard in the early days where we went toe-to-toe with him and weren't scared. That 
what Jack's saying about the Rangers playing style, we're not really ready to a formation or a setup or a style. We don't want tricky winners, we don't want dribbling, we don't want tricky tackle, we don't really care. We just want to see an, an aggressive front foot Rangers team and the, the qualities that we prioritise are dig, fight, spirit, grit. How the ball moves and where it goes in, in amongst that is neither here nor there as long as the appropriate level of controlled aggression is displayed. And for me, the, the remit, the next manager has to show that because that's what wins this league. That's what brings success to this club. And that's what we need. No more... It's a philosophy like Bill and Gerrard and other style. Great. But the core underpinning of it has to be the physicality and the ability to meet the demands of the league. So that, for me, is the remit. We need a bounce. We need it quickly. We need to see real aggression and success in the Cups this season is pretty high in my agenda now. Yeah. And uh, finally, Eddie. I think any new manager coming in has to win at least one of the two Cups, not embarrass himself to the end of the season and then reset in the summer and has to go out and win at least the league, if not a double, next year. And and in in terms of um, personnel, do you think there needs to be a high turnover now? Players leaving, players coming out. Yeah, but I think that's probably been needed for a while anyway. Although I know we brought in quite a few players in the summer. Probably you can clear out most of them when when we do kind of reshuffle the deck. Does um, does the fact that it potentially could be Michael Beal, does that concern you because he might be loyal to some of the players who may possibly have to be moved on? Do you think, um, he's, think he's ruthless enough to cut Rangers' yeah, players? It's a, it's a good question, to be honest. Uh, although I, I think the only ones you'd probably have any real loyalty to, and I've got absolutely nothing to base this on whatsoever, but in my head would be Tav, Goldson and Kent, and Tav and Goldson are going to be here bit oh, longer anyway, and then he might be able to convince Kent to stay. Do you think that Michael Beale can come in and tell Stephen Davis, Scott Arfield and Alan McGregor that their Rangers careers yes. are old? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that for the most part, their bodies will start to tell them that their Rangers career is over and they'll make those decisions themselves. Yeah, but that's that's what comes back to Muscat for me, because he would just come in and be like, out, 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 you can stay, you go, out, 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 you can stay, you can stay, and I'm bringing X, Y, and Z in, and I think that's where we need a fresh pair of eyes with no emotional connection that just needs to, needs to do... A wee the professional run. football club version of chewing the fat, eye. Pretty much. And uh, just come in and, and completely wrap it apart. And, man, I'm not going to... I wouldn't, I wouldn't be against Muscat, and for exactly the reason you're saying there, I would prefer him to Beal if I'm quite honest. Um, but if Beal is who comes in, then I I think he'll probably be willing to tell those three that their their time's up. I hope so, and I'm I'm not just picking on those three. Uh, it's it's very easy to pick on you know Arfield, McGregor, and, and Davis, but listen, those three are no anywhere near the worst offenders. There's, Father Time has caught up in them, so it's not an agenda I've got against them. I'm, I'm very fond of uh, 
every one of those players mentioned. I just feel that you know these are the these are the difficult decisions. These are the difficult conversations that need to need to be had. And um, I feel that Rangers, as a club, not just Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, but again we go back to Ross Wilson. Again we can go back to Douglas Park, John Bennett, and and even Stuart Robertson. We took the easy way out in the summer, and that was we gave contracts to guys who probably when you say didn't deserve them, but probably weren't up to what we were going to ask of them. And that has completely backfired. And uh, th- th- those three guys, um, to replace those three guys with a peak version of those players, it's going to cost a significant amount of money. And we we sunk the best part of what, seven million and Yilmaz and Matondo when those really were, were required. So, um, yeah, a very cheery entry pod because that's what we've got to look forward to. Decisions need to be made and it needs to be the right decisions. We need to get every 10 decisions that need to be made we probably need to get about seven right and we could only really afford to get three wrong and right now our current success rate and getting decisions right is probably what two out of ten so that needs to improve drastically um and yeah it's it's going to be strap in lads because if we get this one wrong uh Dave is kind of tongue-in-cheek over the last couple of weeks. He's been semi-serious, but um, we could be looking at another prolonged, um, sustained uh, period of dominance for, for the other half of the old firm, which is just... It's just um, unfair. I'm serious about that. I'm serious. This is a crucial... This is a pivotal moment in our history. Mm. It's, but, Dave, the thing is, like... Think about... When we won, when we lifted that 55th trophy, um, and we then beat Celtic the following year, 1 0 with Hollander, you just would never, ever, ever have thought that that would have entered your head at all. But, like, it's mad how things have changed so quickly. And to use that as a positive, if things have changed that quickly for them, why could it not change that quickly for us? It certainly can. Football can change overnight. And that's what happened to us to get 55. And it happened, happened for us for 55, it happened to us to lose it. But at the same time, the financial ramifications of them securing Champions League qualification back to back while we're in the league, we've exhausted the fund sources we have now, I think, in terms of the investors. It take something quite seismic to bridge that financial gap if they were to get Champions League next season, and we don't. And they're just starting to work in a situation where maybe not. The worst case is we stared in the barrel of another eight, nine, ten in a row or whatever. But the other scenario, the, the sort of middle ground scenario, which isn't too far away, is that we pick up one title to their three, four, or five. And that's where we end up. And that is just unthinkable for us as a club throughout yeah. history where we've played second fiddle. And I really don't, that, that's probably been the case over the last 20 years anyway notwithstanding us going down so it's going to take a concerted effort by this board to prevent that and make sure that we're picking up at least 50% of league titles going forward to preserve what is to be honest a core part of our identity the most successful of most titles thing. and that's why this is pivotal worst case is it's a long period in the wilderness moderate worst case is that it's picking up one title every every four years when they have a transitional season. And what does the long-term future look like then? Do, do the fans keep paying? Do we keep back in the club? Are we happy being that second fiddle? I, I don't have the answer to these questions. I speculate about a potentially negative future that none of us have lived through. 
so we don't really have a, a barometer for being in that position. Over a long period of time, obviously there's been times like the 80s and that, but I don't know how we, we bridge that gap. You're asking a bigger question there, I think, in terms of how we bridge that gap with expanding the stadium, leaving Ibrox, selling, taking on investors. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I really don't know what the answer is, which is why I'd rather we just fucking appointed the right guy and started living again. That would solve it. Oh, I love you coming on this pod, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, listen, thanks very much, guys. Another long one. Uh, thanks to the listeners as well. If you got to this point, I'm sure that um, I'm sure you're like me. You're just trying to get as much uh, Rangers content into your kind of ears as you can, uh, just to see if uh, I, I don't know if it's just me does this, but you just want to see if, if uh, like-minded people are just thinking the same as you, because it is always a, a worrying time. There was a time in my life not so long ago. I'm talking about McLeish, Paul Le Guin, Walter coming back. Upheaval was never a thing for Rangers. The the manager was a con, a consistent thing. Um, you always knew when a manager was appointed, uh, albeit uh, Paul Le Guin certainly was the outlier. But you always knew when a manager was appointed, you were going to you would have that comfort of knowing that they were going to be here for four or five years, and and there would be good times as well as bad. But now, well, well. We're, we're becoming more modern in that approach in terms of um, managers have a shorter shelf life and, and it's something that as Rangers fans we're not really used to, especially guys like, uh, well actually all you guys on this pod because you are all older than me, you will be used to a more kind of um, consistent approach when it comes to managers, so maybe you need to adapt more than I do, but certainly the fact that I feel as if I need to adapt to this approach of managers having shorter shelf life, it's it's uh, it generally does keep you up at night um, because it is such a big part of your life. But look, um, as every one of you have said here, there's a big decision needs to be made. There's a big changes need to be made, and hopefully the that process kicked off this morning when when Gio was relieved of his job. So uh, thanks very much, guys. Uh, Kenny, um, great redebut. Uh, the last time that you, this is your second podcast with me, the last time you were on a podcast, uh, uh, it went okay, the podcast itself, but the reaction to it wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I've enjoyed that great tonight, mate. Really good. Cathartic. Yeah, yeah, it is a bit, actually, it is a bit. Uh, Tom, thanks very much, mate. No worries. We're going to be really overjoyed when it's Robbie Nielsen or um, Callum, Callum oh. Davidson, aren't we? Well, I, I, I know something. <laughs> I reckon I'd hang up my scarf. I would. Um, Dave, cheers as always, mate. Cheers, mate. I'm just going for Rob Page, and I really want Rob Page. As I say, hopefully, just as the group page concludes. Hi, and uh, Eddie. Um, hi. You've you, you've made Rob Page to Rangers just as much as a thing as uh, <laughs> me with Muscat. Yeah, um, do you know what it is? I just hope enough people start listening that eventually he starts getting into the bookmakers list. Uh, after that, I'll be happy. I'll tell you what I'm, 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 tell you what I'm suspicious about, right? Like, and in no way am I kind of Tartan Army freak, right? But I used to be quite a, 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 a quite a passionate uh, Scotland fan um, uh, back in the day. And I was not fully on board with Walter Smith leaving Scotland to go to Rangers because I thought that's going to be detrimental to Scotland. Um, if we lose him, the fact that you're pushing for a guy to leave your national team who's been fairly successful, that tells me a story that maybe he's there, there, there must be something you don't like the fact that you want 
your national team manager to leave. So uh, I think you've got a tear on motives there, Eddie. No, no, I just I support Rangers more often than I support Wales, so I'd like to see someone I think is good in charge. So, so why do you want Rob Pigeon? Um, and uh, thanks, as always, to producer Andrew. Yep, we've uh, kept our keeping these podcasts nice, quick and snappy, uh, up to a good record so far. So I'm enjoying that. Um, it's also it's also worth noting that uh, while we've been recording this podcast, the odds on Kevin Musker and Michael Beale have both dramatically shortened. So, um, you know, what's, uh, what's either, either. Give, give us an update there, Miss Beale. Uh, Beale is odds on now, one to two. What's Musker? Uh, uh, nine to two. Ooh. So, see, see on that, right? I used to work at Yankees, and it doesn't take much to move these markets because exactly. the are relatively small. So yeah, exactly what I was going to say, Dave. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it's all it's all talk until it's not. So we shall see how things go. But I think, yeah. to be fair, the two hundred quid I stuck on Michael Beale while we were chatting is probably more <laughs> that I think the um, the only time you can really take the bookies seriously is when they suspend betting. Um, and until that that happens, um, I, I, I would uh, be inclined to agree with Andrew and Dave. Just take it with a pinch of salt because. Um, I could go and stick 20 quid on Rob Page just now and he'd go right into the 10s um, when he's probably not even in the market at the moment. So, um, yeah, it, it's, not a, it's not a great barometer, but um, I think to the point to kind of back up the whole context of this podcast, I think the five games, we, the five names we did um, discuss, are one of those five will be the next Rangers manager. So, um, as much as we did take the kind of uh, the, the bookie's guidance on it, uh, uh, we're both right. It will be one of those five, if I was to guess. And um, as much as, as little as a tenor in, in this market can change things dramatically. So um, as exciting as it is to see Muscat move in, um, yeah, I, I think I, I think for kind of transparent transparency, whilst we've been recording this, obviously the news is broken, but maybe we'll be um, potentially being given permission to speak to Rangers or, or whatnot in some way, shape, or form. But um, well, it remains to be seen until the new guy is standing outside the marble staircase with the with the scarf. Um, I've already said um, I'm sure there'll be plenty more speculation. Um, you can but, get fifty to one on Joey Barton now. See, that's just yes, that's just ridiculous. Uh, yeah. business. Aye, aye, very much. Thirty-three so. to one on Steve Clark. Right, by that, I'm just going to wrap this up, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> what have we got, on Scott Cheers, Brown? Man. <laughs> um, but thanks for the listeners um, we will be back at some point possibly next week Eddie, Andrew I don't know if you just get our host team is it anybody lined up? Uh, the first episode of our first season with uh, some Yahoo called Chris Bet uh, will be going up on Wednesday so uh, will be tomorrow uh, as people are listening to this so um, yeah if you haven't listened to it before please tune in enjoy it it's a good time we'll talk about the world's best 11 we'll get to criticise Chris's um, it's fantastic stuff yeah and um, I'm sure we'll be back next week with an update on the managers uh, the, the, the the hunt for a new Rangers manager in the meantime um, if you could like subscribe follow us on Twitter uh, Spotify and Apple Andrew will put the links in the description that would be very much appreciated but until next time we'll, we'll speak to you